And so I'd come home and my partner would be like, yo, you've been in the uh, shower for like 45 minutes and the water is freezing cold. And I'd still be thinking about what was going on from the day. And I was definitely taking some things back home with me and I needed I needed to, to change up. I could not be more excited that you are here with us again for another week and another episode of Academics Mean Business. Today is a fun one. I have Mark Cardone, who is a he's first of all hilarious. So it's always fun when you have a guest who really knows how to take the mic and uh, really just create an engaging discussion and conversation. And he is a coach right now, and he has a business around coaching, high-performance coaching, really. And so we talk a lot about the differences between coaching and teaching and being an advisor. But he really started out going to med school to really, you know, make his family happy um, and and... But then he decided to become a rock star and actually start a band and record. So we go into a little bit about that. Uh, But of course, once he decides that teaching uh, wasn't enough for him, or I think as we put it, uh, he was talking about how to make decisions about whether you feel good in something, whether you're functioning well, and, you know, looking for that growth, right? Looking for the next step. Uh, We talk about that because that's what he does for a living. But he basically decided that once he wanted to leave teaching and that that was the right path for him, that he would go on to get a coaching uh, certificate. And I really like this episode because he lays that out. And so people who are thinking about, you know, are are an academic or have gone through that, because I think Dr. Kat Malinsky as well, which is a previous episode, um, you know, getting that credential that says you've been through a training is really valuable. And academic Academics, you know, as a whole are always looking to kind of just show that we've been through something like that. So we talk a little bit about the coaching industry and how there actually isn't a lot of coaches that have any sort of training whatsoever and how dangerous that can be. So with his background in student administration and student life, um, he has a very similar background to Dave Ng, actually, who was a previous episode. Um, he realized he wasn't going to go on and get his PhD. And so he decided as well to leave and actually leave education um, and being a, an advisor and teaching some courses to going into entrepreneurship full time. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation that we have around a lot of these issues around what it means to settle versus strive, uh, certi- certification and the professionalization of coaching, the coaching industry. Uh, it's a really fun one. So uh, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. All right, we are here for another episode of Academics Mean Business, and I have with me today Mark Cordone. Welcome, 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 Mark. So happy that you're here. Yeah, yeah, Lindsay, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. So Mark and I just, I tend to give a little bit of a backstory um, for how we found each other, because I think that is part of this experience. (laughs) I go to this entrepreneur stuff and then I start to tell people like, oh, I have this, like I was a professor or whatever. And, you know, we go down the rabbit hole of that fun stuff. But Mark and I met um, at a conference a couple weeks ago. 
And he was at one of the first conferences when I actually kind of publicly announced that I was a host of a podcast and um, that I was exploring the kind of intersection of academia and entrepreneurship. Um, and so he and I basically hit it uh, hit it out of the park, as, as Mark would like to say, um, when it comes to just like connecting on that really deep level about teaching and students. And he's going to get into to his background. But what I love about Mark is he... Um, we have a very similar theoretical background, so we might nerd out a little bit on that. Uh, but we also just obviously care a ton about our students, and we were really rebels within our institution and doing some, you know, out of the box kind of pedagogical stuff as well. And so we obviously just had a blast at that event, uh, connecting on that level. So I'm just really glad that we're having this conversation. I feel like I'm going to get to know you even more. I, I do too, and and I feel like. Um I don't know if you know this, but when I came to that event, we were on opposite sides of the room. Ooh. And the second I opened up my mouth and I was like, I was in higher education. I've got my own business. Like four people pointed right at you. And they're oh, like, I love you it. have to walk to Lindsay and introduce <laughs> yourself right now. Oh. And it's been great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, OK, I just have to speak on this because that <laughs> right there, like, um, I mean, it means a lot to be to be, you know, uh, to have started a business, you know, a year and a half ago, to have left teaching entirely, at least at the moment, um, and now to be stepping into a in new territory, it's it's kind of scary to do what we would call as like a little bit of a pivot or whatever. It feels actually expansive. It doesn't really feel like a pivot, yeah. but to um, you know be associated with academics in entrepreneurship, like it's such an honor to be seen in that way. And so that like that literally was the first experience publicly. Um, uh, in a, in a space where I didn't know everyone in the room, I knew like two or three people, maybe four. And, uh, to be seen in that way, it's like, Oh shit, like this is very real. So thank you because that, it means a lot. It means I know that there's a reason why I'm doing this and continuing to have these conversations. And and that moment is, is one of them. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And you know, one of the things just, to, uh, ju just to go along w with you, like, it, there is a scary leap sometimes and and sometimes when you're in that when a, in a room of entrepreneurs and you can make a connection with someone who's been in higher education what a great place to integrate um with higher education and and entrepreneurship and the fact that you were in the room the fact that we could sit down we could laugh about it we could also talk about where we felt were opportunities um for for teaching and learning yep um i I can't be more um, excited to be continuing this conversation because I don't yeah. think we're going to hold back on anything that we <laughs> talked about at that conference. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we may need a couple glasses of champagne because that, that was involved <laughs> at the evening oh. part of our, <laughs> as I reveal <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so let's jump into it then. Give us a little bit about your background so people can really uh, connect with you, Mark, on that, on that academic level. What did you study? Um, at what, how did you, um, you know, what was your position in higher ed? Give us kind of, some, kind of some of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I actually ended up working for the institution that I went to as an undergrad. So I, oh, I, I, cool. I went to, 
Yeah, so I, I, I came to Emory University in Atlanta. Um, neuroscience, uh, you know, I, I come from uh, an immigrant Filipino family where both parents are doctors. And so that was pretty much where I was going, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're groomed not to be Michael Jackson. You're groomed to be, <laughs> um, you know, uh, a doctor who, mm-hmm. who really takes takes over the reins and, and the practice. And so in moving to to Atlanta and going to Emory University, uh, neuroscience and philosophy, uh, that was my jam, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, um, also at the same time, um, the idea of uh, community was always a big deal for me. Mm. And so I loved things like new student orientation. Mm-hmm. I loved the multicultural office and I, I needed to find a way to work there. And so it was almost like this sort of dual identity I had as an undergrad, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was my academic identity, um, which which I would say was was something that was maybe more uh, externally motivated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there was sort of the things that uh, I would do when I wasn't studying, uh, and and getting Asian American studies at Emory was something that was important to me as an undergrad. Um, being being an orientation leader and and folks who are going through transition into the community and and creating a place of welcome was important to me. And uh, I ended up going and getting my master's degree in public health um, because at the time I was like, I can continue to do some things when it comes to community. The community piece. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and but I can still keep that medical (laughs) side. of (laughs) My parents will still love me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. So uh, I at that point, I was beginning to transition into organizational dynamics and organizational behavior um, and management in 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 public health sectors. And not only that, but the idea of creating movements, Mm. um, creating social movements, uh, creating social change. Uh, The idea that um, that health is not just the absence of disease. Mm. It's the presence of something else. Mm -hmm. And so those things always kind of stuck with me. And then I got my I got my master's degree. And and if if I could show you this photo at one point, I will. Maybe I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, for Derek could put it in show notes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Derek, thank you. So <laughs> there's this photo of me at at graduation. I've got these huge ass aviators on, and my my whole family is excited because I've got a master's degree, and I've got this cocky smirk on my face, <laughs> as if I've conquered the world because I've got a master's degree from mm. some institution that made it to a top twenty five in some magazine. Right. Right. I was something. I was somebody, mm. as I, I, I would say. I'm, I was somebody. And and I worked for um, a hospital system for a while <laughs> and I realized I want to be Michael Jackson. <laughs> so Oops. I, I quit. I quit the job. I I. I, I joined a band. We sold CDs out of the trunk of a it's car. So fun. Um, and uh, what happened was that we we looked around and we were like, hey, we're the only Asians in the South in a band. Mm. Let's call ourselves the best Asian band in the South. <laughs> Stop, is that really? We, <laughs> yes. we, we did. And, and suddenly we found ourselves on tour. We found ourselves in studios. And I was thinking about what is it that I love doing about this? Because the hedonic mm. aspect of performing is awesome. Yeah. But also there was a certain part of it that was still empty for me. And... I realized that um, the work in multicultural, uh, in multi- the multicultural office, and the work in 
uh, new student orientation was something that I still wanted to do. Mm. So being Michael Jackson wasn't performing on a stage. It was, I know this is corny, but it was doing trainings. And anybody who's been Ah. a part of like a res life Mm -hmm. or has done orientation, you feel like you got that energy. You feel like you got that presence and you feel like you've got a stage and an audience. And if you do it well, you can inspire folks. Yep, yep. And I feel like that's the same way when I worked in a classroom mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. The teacher as the rock star. There you go. That's a that's a thing. That's totally a thing. The, the teacher as the rock star, yeah, the rebel, yep. the provocateur, mm-hmm. you know, um, versus maybe, uh, you know, uh, what some people think as the the teacher is someone reading an agenda yeah which is absolute bullshit Mm -hmm. um so to to come back and and to serve to feel fulfilled um and 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 to also feel like i was a part of a community that um i was i i was uh influencing and being Mm -hmm. influenced upon it was such a great sense of belonging now let's go a couple uh, a couple years down, and I'm I'm looking at okay, what is my mo- mobility here? Because I'm getting kind of I'm kind of getting worn out, man. Mm. Um, and definitely, when you're working for anyone who's been working in either a multicultural office or serving students, any kind of helping profession or yeah. service profession in higher ed, sometimes we want to help our students so much that we take on their stuff. Yep. And yep. I wasn't yep. trained. I wasn't trained, and so I'd come home, and my partner would be like, "Yo, you've been in the uh, shower for like." 45 minutes and the water is freezing cold (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'd still be thinking about what was going on from the day. Mm. And I was definitely taking some things back home with me and I needed, I needed to, to change up. Yeah. And so what, what happened was that, uh, I went back to some of the public health things and I thought about what the absence of disease means. And just because I was in a great job didn't mean I was in the presence of wellness. Mm. And so for the next seven years, it became important for me to work with folks when it came to positive psychology. How can we serve? How can we give? How can we, um, how can we lead a movement without burning out? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Um, a big question though. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Like that's, that question belongs everywhere. Right. Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. uh, With what? Yeah. The, the, where the world is right now, things that we're dealing with. I mean, activists and, uh, uh, the lack of self care and the sacrifice and the give, give, give and the boundaries. I mean, so much of that conversation is rarely happening. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, now the great thing that was also awesome, Lindsay, was that the institution was taking care of me. Mm. Right. So if you stay longer, we love you. Sure. If you stay longer, we'll pay for your PhD. Mm -hmm. And my PhD was in student affairs at one of the top student affairs institutions in the South, UGA, Mm -hmm. uh, University of Georgia. It was in there that I began to ask about positive psychology because my students were coming in. I was studying the theories and my students were coming in and saying, look, if I want to succeed, I got to pull pull an all nighter. I got to give up my health. Mm-hmm. If if I want to have fun, well, then I have to give up my success. I have to give up my academics. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who told you that? And they'd be like, well, you know, it, it's 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 kind of a it, it, it's kind of the zeitgeist of colleges. We work yep, hard. Yep. We work hard. We give things up. We play hard. Um, and I began to push the envelope and say, no, if we can actually have both and be more efficient. Mm hmm. 
you know, and, and so uh, it, one of the things that I realized also was that um, I appreciate everything that I was learning in my doctoral program, but higher education in the long run wasn't where I wanted to be. I think mm -hmm. being Michael Jackson, being a professor, being a performer, being a teacher, <laughs> look, the, the reality, Lindsay, is this, and anybody listening, if you want, if you want to get an MBA from NYU, go and search it on iTunes because you'll get all the content you need. Yep, yep, the content's out there. Yep, hundred percent. And you can also listen to it on the on Maui, on Maui Beach, or in Bali. You can save your mm. money. So, what does it mean <laughs> nowadays? What does it mean nowadays to get your degree? Yeah. What does that mean? Because in in an age of uh, a revolution where the mind and your cognitive ability is above all things, like one of the biggest assets that you can bring. What, what role does higher education play in that? And, and that was a question that I had. And, um, I definitely became, uh, even more defiant than I was <laughs> already. Um, but also at the same time, I was ready. I was ready to explore, like, can I take a $150,000 uh, master's in public health um, uh, concept and bring that to the masses through things like Facebook Live? Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. Does that make sense? That, so that's interesting. Can yeah. I can I bring you back to the time? Oh you're, yeah, absolutely. So you're 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 a doctoral student, you're doing yeah. the thing and you think this is where you want to go, but you also realized what the real the reality of the position was, <laughs> what was expected of you as a, a service provider for students and um for those of you listening who've been listening to the podcast, I actually connected Mark and Dave, <laughs> who if you've listened to, I forget what episode, but they are have a lot of parallels, right? And um, what I loved about my interview with Dave, he was one of my first guests that I had on that wasn't a professor, but was a service provider. Yeah. Um, in the student services angle. And yes, he was teaching, but the roles of the position are just different. It's built, it's, it's built into the system in a different way. Right. And there's something about doing the kind of work that you were doing in the multicultural office and supporting students in an oppressive institution, like, right. I'm, mm -hmm. yep. That's what it is. It's, yep. it's a microcosm of society and students at, uh, minority students at universities are underserved in pretty much every college. Right. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, like I can only imagine the the issues that your students were coming to you with, the fact that they're not being supported in many cases in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And then here you guys are, right, picking up the pieces. And, you know, we know these <laughs> offices and these programs that exist on these campuses um, and what they do for our students. But I don't think people really realize um, the... Uh, the energy that goes into serving that population pretty much without the wall. And this is as a, from a professor's standpoint, like, you know, I have my class time, I have my office hours and I have whatever I give on the outside of that in different committees and stuff like that. But it's kind of delineated and I can say, mm -hmm. okay, this is where my boundary is. This is my line. But I feel like folks in the like 
admin and the service level, the boundary is even more blurred. And um, the giving to the students is happening like on 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 a more counseling level to be real, right? Like I would have some of those counseling moments with my students too. Um, but it, it's different when, um, you know, it's as their professor, I guess. So yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say <laughs> is um, you were going through a lot. I just wanted to like reflect back to you. Like, um, yeah. you know, I see you and I know what you were doing and I, and I yeah. could only imagine like what you were thinking in your head about like, how could you really actually help these people at that institution? And then I'm starting, you know, you're starting to question, um, you know, is this even the answer is like getting this degree actually going to change some of this stuff that I've been dealing with. So I want you to kind of maybe take us back to when you were, you, you were teaching, correct? So you, you were a TA or, or were teaching some courses on campus while getting a PhD. So you started to push buttons. When did yeah. you kind of realize that like, look, higher ed is probably not the way I'm going to make the change. It's, it's going to happen. Cause you jumped right into talking about Facebook lives. Right. So like, oh, was yeah, there, yeah. was there someone you were watching? Was there a mentor or someone you were observing online that you're like, I could do that. Like what, what was going on for that? That, that leap to happen. Oh, that is a that is a great question because that it's almost like in the Bible the the part where Jesus disappears for thirty years, right? Then he reappears, <laughs> right. so and then suddenly, he, then, he's, then he's back. Suddenly he has powers <laughs> and a beard, right? Um, and yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll tell you the part where Jesus disappeared in my story, right? Cool. Um, I give uh, number one is I give credit to my students. Um, because every single day was a new day yep. and it, and I knew that if I could work in a place where someone could come in and I could serve and advise and challenge and dare say coach. Mm. And at the end of it, <laughs> yeah. begin to draw the lines and say, I'm not a mental health practitioner. Mm-mm. I need to refer and begin mm. to look around and say, why do so many of my colleagues think that they can do everything around uh, here? Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And, and, and so the other thing is that I'm looking at the mental health service providers and I'm like, there's not enough on campus. No, nope, you know, nope, and, nope. and so like the, there's uh, there's and and this is not just on a campus, you know, there's so many systems that are bottlenecked, you know, and this Mm -hmm. is not me calling out a certain university. There is, um, you know, and it's also me not belly aching because folks are trying to do the best that they can. Yep. Yep. But also at the same time, the university, let's pull the sheets back is an enterprise. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) The university is an enterprise, like everything else. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it needs to open up new buildings to survive. It needs yeah. to get a certain number of credit hours. Um, sometimes international students don't get the benefit of scholarships. Yeah. Um, and the university Yeah, gets because the they bring in the and, most money, by the way, yep, for those of you who don't know. I remember do. when my institution started, yeah, just started promoting, yeah, we want more international students. And they literally said, because they're worth more, like coming in per head. And I'm just like, what? Like, what, yeah. who's talking right now? Like, what's happening? Yeah, it's awesome. Human beings, we're talking <laughs> it's awesome. about? crazy. Super yeah, awesome. so so I mean, those were, those were those were definitely times, um, you know. And I I, I think um, just being a part of of, of systems in in which 
again, um, when a university and any system or any enterprise goes and says what their values are, mm. and those there's a difference between espoused values and practiced values, and corporations do it all the time. Yep. <laughs> Teams do it all the time. So it's not like higher education is any different. Yeah. Yep. But when there's a difference between what you say you are and the way that you treat either students or your faculty mm-hmm. or your staff, and you have faculty who are doing the best that they can, but they don't have enough office hours. Yeah. You have mental health practitioners who are doing the best they can, but they don't have enough practitioners. And you have student affairs people who are doing the best they can. They don't have necessarily the training, but they're doing the best they can. And they don't know that they might be doing harm by trying mm. to quote unquote counsel somebody. Yeah. It was time for me to stay, um, take a big chunk of humble pie and say, just because I'm Michael Jackson doesn't mean that I can like figure out every single thing in the world. I do Mm. one thing and I do it well. I can train and I can research positive psychology and that's what I want to do. And I need, I need to trust my colleagues. And so just two other things that happened. There was a professor at Emory university that, um, uh, my students were coming in and saying, this is the best class I ever took. His name is Mm. Dr. Corey Keyes, uh, one of the founders of the uh, positive psychology movement. Um, And he once talked about the idea, or not once, he still talks about the idea of human flourishing. And the idea of human flourishing for anybody who has ever tuned into my show, I always pay uh, my my Facebook lives or or anything that I do. um, I always pay a deference to Corey Keyes because he said there's two components to flourishing. The first one is the hedonic component, feeling good. Are you feeling good every day? And the second component is functioning well. Do you have a purpose? Are you serving a self-concordance? Are you, um, are you feeling, uh, are you feeling completely fulfilled with the way that you're making meaning in the world? And so are you feeling good and functioning well? And anything less than that, if you're just feeling good, well, it's called, um, it's called settling. Mm. You're settling for day to day Mm. and you're not necessarily thinking about your long-term purpose. Mm. And if you're, if you've got a purpose and you're busting ass and you're not finding things to be grateful for every single day or to be happy about when you're in the university, you're giving up, um, you're giving up meals, you're giving up sleep in order to get the grade. And so you have purpose, but you're giving up your health for it. You're mm-hmm. striving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anything less than flourishing is settling and striving at work. I'm settling. And in my PhD program, I'm striving and nowhere am I flourishing right now. Mm. So th- then I joined a, P- uh, a roller derby team and everything was better. <laughs> but that was, <laughs> that was the time that I said, I need to get, I need to get out because I, mm. where I can flourish is still continuing to take the message. My message has never changed. I want to empower as many people as I can while having as much fun as I can. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do I need simple. to do that in higher education? <laughs> Yeah. 
So I hope that was a, a long way of answering your question, Lindsay. So yeah, that's where well, I grew the beard. no, it is. Yeah. And then, so then I'm curious. So you, you were thinking you were going to go, I'm assuming into like student affairs and become a professor and like, right. Or run a program somewhere. Um, and then when you decided that wasn't what you were going to do, what were some of your first moves? So you go have fun, right? <laughs> yeah. You're realizing yeah. I want to go feel good yeah. and play, um, yeah. and have purpose. And I think joining a team, like a sports team, it really, um, can nail those two. Yeah. But what were you thinking? about like money, right? Like got to make some cash. So what was your, what was your game plan, um, <laughs> leaving or, or like, what were some of the first things you did, uh, to, to help you make that transition? So one, one of the first things that I did, and this was while I was in the institution was, mm. um, I began to, uh, I began to look at coaching, but not only did I begin to look at coaching, I began to, to look at how coaching is sustainable. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, one of the first things that I identified was that the coaching industry, in the same way that the mental health industry a few years ago, the mental health industry was not regulated at all. You know, mm -hmm. you could sell potions mm -hmm. and all this other crap, right? Um, sure. And for the for the good of the for the good of for the greater good. Um, they, they, uh, they really lock down on who a mental practitioner is and isn't. Mm -hmm. And so the first mm -hmm. thing I ask myself is, does the coaching industry have the same standards? And my answer to that was no. Nowadays, no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, big nowadays yeah. anybody can become a coach. And I think that that's fine. Yep. But to me, the reality of it is, is that if you don't have proper training, if you don't uh, know things when it comes to the International Coaching Federation, I'm just going to call it mm -hmm. um, folks with training are coming after your ass because it's not yeah. doing yeah. benefit to the um, to the client, period. Yeah. And, and so I do believe mm -hmm. in, in a certain certain standards. If you're a coach and you don't know the International Coach Federation standards, just go and check out the site. And if you're if you don't abide by yep. them, call yourself something else so we can identify. Mm. And so the public can identify ways of, of serving themselves right now. So mm -hmm, that was the first mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing was the entrepreneurial mind. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, the first thing that I did when I was a, a student was I looked around and I was like, there's no Filipino students uh, association. Mm -hmm. So I started a Filipino student association. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the entrepreneurial mind is always looking around the world and saying, not necessarily uh, what is my value add, but what in addition to that, but what what's missing right now? What's, yeah. How can I help? Yeah. Like, what's the gap? Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and so one of the big gaps that I saw was, um, OK, so there's this coaching field that's very nebulous right now. There's this positive mm -hmm. psychology movement, which I'm completely behind and has empirical data yep. uh, that can support coaching. And I threw my hat into both um, with the intuition or premonition that in the next few years, as the ICF and other coaches are coming down for the profession to tighten up, that positive yep. psychology, the idea of looking at what's right, appreciative inquiry, all of those theoretical mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. that have been tested um, are are going to be a great um, coupling with each other, coaching and positive psychology. Yeah. And then from the entrepreneurial perspective, I started looking at 
well, who's, who are great people that are doing this right now? And how are they doing it quickly? Mm-hmm. That's a great tip, by the way. Like when, if you're seeing somebody, if you're like having this vision of going and being like, oh, I can help in this way. I found this gap. Um, step one, go find someone that's already doing that <laughs> because there is somebody. There is. <laughs> but the cool thing is then you just kind of, right. What, what is, what's the, the phrase like? Not it's not like reinvent the wheel, but like uh, like more specific than that, it's like follow the like steps of giants yeah. or something like that. Like there's some language around that, but yeah, like someone's already kind of figured it out, and they and you know yeah. you could interview them, you could chat with them, and be like, how did you have your own yeah. Facebook live show? What you know, whatever it is that you admire in them. But that's a great uh, suggestion for uh, for like kind of that tip of how did you start a business in this thing? Yeah, Find someone Lindsay, who's already we, done it. If we even just look at the way that like ecosystems and evolutionary theory works animals first mimic each other and then differentiate mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. evolution mm-hmm. happens yep. so like yep. the whole thing about not yep. reinventing the wheel can even be found in nature so the idea of mimicry and differentiation is everywhere and the first person that i remember looking at um happened to be at the conference that you and I met at. And I was trying to tell him the story, but he was surrounded. His name is Todd Herman. Mm. And he was he did a, he had a program out that was online called the 90 Day Year. And I was like, okay, it's got hooks, it's catchy. Yeah. I do <laughs> I don't like the I you know, I, I like the idea that um, strategic planning can be moved up and it can be made quicker. I'm in a place where strategic planning, again, not because of the particular institution, but sometimes strategic planning is hard um, when you have multiple islands working together like you would in a, in a higher education setting, right? And Todd Herman's piece, in his first episode, he talked about Carol Dweck's growth mindset. Uh, Carol Dweck was a positive psychologist who looked at uh, the arena of education yep. and who are the best or who are the folks who show optimal growth. Mm-hmm. And they're the folks that um, uh, not only look for praise, right? So show off their A. Look at me, I got an A. <laughs> but even if they got an A, a hundred, you know, perform to full capacity, they still ask questions in a feedback loop to say, okay, what can I do better next time? Yeah. How can I how yep. can I study this better? Yep. Can I get this A without staying up all night? And from that point on I realized that there are people in the space of entrepreneurship that are bringing in positive psychology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and without was, naming it as such, not knowing the theoretical, like where it comes from, but like, yep, that's what's happening. Without, yeah, that's interesting. And, and it was going to the masses and there was also, and he was also unapologetic about saying I'm an entrepreneur and that's mm. part of my identity. And mm-hmm. I said to myself, Okay, I can lead a social movement and I don't have to feel guilty about getting a Mm. damn paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. There you go. (laughs) Which is key. So key. And and that was the point where I knew. That's when you realized. Yep. Yep. And and unfortunately for the university, um, I started walking around and and I'll call my ego out on this. I started walking around. with like I was a student affairs practitioner on tenure. 
<laughs> because I was like, it's just a care. matter. Yeah. No, yeah. no. It, yeah. And, and that's not good for the students to no. not care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and at that point I was teaching like happiness mini courses and I was like the most <laughs> unhappy guy ever, mm. you know, so that wasn't great either. Mm-hmm. But also at that same time, the reason, um, no, not to, uh, not to rationalize this, but I think anytime, if you look at what Maslow says, what one must be or what one realizes that they can be, they must be mm. anything less than that. You feel like you're settling for something. Yep. And the last thing I want is to go to my um, last day regretting something. Mm. A- and so it just happened that I was, I, I, I was in a coaching program that I was finishing up. Mm-hmm. I was in a positive psychology program that I was mm-hmm. finishing up. Mm-hmm. I needed to figure out what I was going to do about my, um, my, uh, about my PhD. Emery was, Emery was basically giving me, um, uh, a few order, a marching orders <laughs> in ter- terms of surviving and, um, uh, to my greatest gratitude, they Emery knew it was time for me to go, mm. and they pushed they pushed me out of the um, they pushed me out of the nest. Mm-hmm. And within thirty six hours, my website was up, and it oh, wasn't nice. because I was resp- <laughs> it wasn't because I was planning anything behind the scenes, but because that idea of like now that that energy was gone, that yep. catabolic yep. energy was gone, yep. it gave me so much room to play now. Mm-hmm. And it was so easy to open up the Rolodex and and say, yo, y'all, like who here's got um, a, a site they can help me out with? Mm-hmm. Okay, someone help me out with Facebook Live. Let me finish off, finish off this Todd Herman piece and let me be strict about my 90-day um, goals. goals. Yep, yep. What I couldn't do in my PhD program was get through my literature review. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in... And in three months, I had a book done. Of course. Yeah. And yep. Lindsay, Lindsay, right before our podcast, I just signed, I just signed, this is not humble bragging. This is straight up bragging. Do it. I just, I just signed a book deal for distribution. Yay. That is awesome. Is this the one, is this a new book or is this the one no, um, you already it's, have? It's, yeah. So it was, it was the book that, um, it was the book that I wrote during the period of transition. I love it. And I can't be more thankful to go from that, that place where I was in an unhappy happiness guy mm-hmm. um to <laughs> irony a, um, not lost <laughs> right yeah. to uh, to to a person that is in new york city meeting you mm. and meeting todd herman yeah we are all in the same room yep Ugh, that's so cool so oh my gosh so there's so right? much in this that i'm hearing like <laughs> first like i uh, this is a theme I'm hearing and something that I'm realizing is such a, a strength of people that have our, our I don't even know, like life experience and, and like the decisions we've made along the way and why we've made those decisions, like what we were after. But there's something about going into academia, whether or not you even finish a degree. It's not even that. It's more just like the character of the people who decide to do that um, is maybe yeah, one yeah, piece absolutely. of it. Yeah. And so what I'm, I'm seeing as another theme in this podcast, having done now like nearly 20 interviews, it comes up around this idea of like credentialism, which, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a whole like other conversation we can talk about because it's funny, like, what do we do with a higher ed degree? But at the same time, you're in a, a, 
a field of entrepreneurship, the in, um, the industry of coaching, which is so unregulated. And you're right. Like some of the things that people are claiming that they can do, um, the damage yeah. that gets done in so many different ways and having no background in, in kind of any sort of certification or, or like study is like really scary that they don't know what their limits are of how they can help someone. And when their money is tied to whether or not they help this person, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But what I'm noticing about it is like the academic is someone who is studied, like whatever that means, like in air quotes, like someone who has um, experience doing research can look at bodies of knowledge, distill like what's happening, position theories to other theories, right? The theories are nothing by themselves. They're in relation to other theories and paradigms and ways of thinking. And there's a bunch of entrepreneurs running around there having no concept of what that looks like. And so, um, you know, the idea that this space is, I, I see it going through a professionalization, I think might be the right term where there starts to be some sort of process and certification and vetting and, um, system happening. And so to, you know, for you to have the visionary ideas of like, Oh, I see where this is headed. And as the academic, I'm actually situated in a way that can really help this industry too, and really serve the people that are looking for help when they look up coaching. Um, so I just want to reflect that back to you because I think um, that is a uh, a part of us as academics that we do well and we don't sometimes yeah. we don't realize that lots of other people don't think or see the world in that way um, and it and it it is um, valuable to know theories and you know where research comes from and how to tell if a study is bunk or not and like and how to validate <laughs> claims like you know it's yeah. something that I wish the mainstream population knew and it was something I used to kind of teach in my stats class right but mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know in entrepreneurship it helps too um, and I think that it's such a skill set that we bring absolutely Lindsay and I, I think if if, if, if any research practitioner academic were to sit here right now and listen to this podcast and say, oh, what, what would be my, uh, why don't we call it unfair advantage? Mm, there you right? go. <laughs> if I were to come into the entrepreneurial space, the way that, um, the way that, uh, uh, in higher education, there is a certain rigor Mm-hmm. And there is a certain scientific methodology yep, yep. <laughs> to your approach to doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cannot be more thankful of the 14 years that I spent. Yep. Um, you know, you can put on a great program, but show me the assessment, show me the evaluation, and I can show you how to make the program better and more efficient. So good. Yeah. And like, right? if I could say anything to people listening to and what has been driven home and the more I talk to people as well and like start to have these conversations, like the the savvy business owner who knows that this mar- like the market of online education and training and the idea that we go instead of looking to go to you know a physician potentially or some sort of um, right hospital to get care people are turning to people online which might blow people's minds but you know if you think about it, we're getting in strangers cars every day, like Uber and Lyft. So it's not that crazy that we're, um, you know, going outside of institutional, um, 
uh, you know, organizations that we've set up as a society. And so I think that's one part of it. But let's just say that as entrepreneurs see this as a pattern, they know that it's getting more of a mature market, that people are going to start to be like, you know, um, smart buyers, right? Because now there's so much that they can buy from. So when the market is flooded with courses or coaches, then people start to say, oh, wait. So now it's about finding the best coach. Now it's about finding the coach who has a background that um, I associate with. Um, But so people are starting to notice that. And I think the entrepreneurs who have kind of these large um, followings and are bringing in, you know, you know, seven figure million, you know, million dollar revenue yearly and growing, they are looking for researchers. I've had multiple people tell me, Oh, you deal with academics who are like, have a business or want to like leave the Academy. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. And they're like, can you find me a researcher? And I was like, uh, maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so I I guess Mm -hmm. what I want to just say is like people are starting to look for this and they're recognizing that they don't have this skill set. They're recognizing like, Oh, actually I've never, I've never researched anything before. I didn't go through that part. I didn't go that far in my education to need that skill. Um, and even the other part of it, and, and this is, um, I met last week, there was a conference locally in San Diego and I met with, um, some of the, the guys behind Thinkific and that's a, for those of you who don't know, it's like a learning management platform, um, out in this space, um, similar to some of the ones in higher ed, but with a lot less cool functionality that we play with, um, as teachers. And I knew that there was this huge gap. It's like, Oh, they could be doing so much cool stuff with their students, you know, but entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. were just creating courses that had videos and, and PDFs and wondering why no one was finishing them. (laughs) And so, um, anyways, we sat down and they basically revealed to me that they're completely and totally changing their, um, position in the market and they're moving away from focusing on how much money they can make teachers and these course creators, because there's a lot of focus on that, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, it is, it is from the business world and they're focusing on getting students success. And I was like, I cracked up because I was like, wait, student success. Like that's the language. (laughs) And so Mark knows, right. We talk about this in higher all day how many meetings we had around defining student success and like what are the outcomes institutional and departmental so all funny now like realizing that these marketers are like oh yeah like if someone's trying to learn something we should probably be paying attention to students but he looked at me and he's like so yeah we don't we don't know how to teach (laughs) and they're like we're gonna need help with that and I was like yeah you guys have no clue and um and so um I bring that up just because again, the market is maturing. And um, as we're starting to realize as academics that we, you know, can serve people outside of our institution and that we can, and that it is okay to make money um, and not have just a salary, but potentially be in control of other income streams and that this can happen online. It's kind of a beautiful uh, moment, I would say too. Absolutely. I I think that I think that one of the things that I'm really excited to see um, and and the professors around the country right now who are doing this, but they're taking they're taking some of the work that they've done. And this is crazy talk, but they're monetizing it. The word monetize with education is like, yeah, if you would have told Lindsay of 10 years ago that I would have thrown up on you and been like, get out of here. It's all about the public good and like whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) 
like not to now sound like I'm any different, but like, yeah, I, no. I agree. Like putting that language together, um, was, it was a problem for me for a long time. Well, but also at the same time for an academic, because there is a, a, a certain role model, uh, mm, role that yes, an academic yes. plays, right. Yep. Um, to be able to model service as well as self-care from the mm. standpoint of taking care of yourself and, and having taking resources care of your community. like that. Yep. 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 Um, and, and, and for those of you who are college students, professors go through, shit. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they, you know, when it rains, it also rains on professors, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and to be able to monetize that is, is an incredible opportunity for, um, for folks in higher education. And again, the advantage would be able, would be coming to the table and saying what y'all think marketers, business folks, what y'all think is scientific <laughs> is art. It's art for me. Mm -hmm. It's art, mm -hmm. you know, and what I think is art as an academic where you're out there, um, uh, starting your podcast and dyeing your hair red and being some sort of celebrity, yeah. thinking that you're some sort of celebrity and branding yourself mm. as a rebel, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, what kind of magic and, That's, mm -hmm. and what kind of magic is in that? No, there's a science to what we do. Interesting. And the fact of the matter is that both sides can come together and, and paradise. Um, and, and that's where positive psych comes into play. And I'm not trying to stand on the positive psych uh, platform right now, but like what's working with all of us and how can we come together yep. and share that? Yep. 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 I love that. I love that. I mean, if you think about the type of person that becomes and, and, it, and I don't I don't know. I don't know. There was a study. I remember talking to my students about this a lot when it related to, you know, politics and people that, you know, that stuff would come up that like institutions are liberal leaning. And yeah, of course, the conservative news was putting out things mm -hmm. like or the yeah. conservative media kind of powerhouse was putting out things that would say like, oh, at universities, it's it, you know, they don't hire conservative professors and they don't hire people. And it's because uh -huh. they're indoctrinating our students. OK, yeah. so then you start reach, re researching like and looking into the political science research that came out of that and some of the um, studies, uh, there was a little bit of psych too. And essentially, like, it's actually the type of person that goes into being a professor. It has nothing to do with, um, mm. it's the, yeah, it's not the, it's not the liberal leaning. It's more like why they're, they're doing what they do. And so I bring that up because there's something about the reasons why people become professors. Like, why would you spend time pouring over some, you know, small, tiny piece of knowledge, you know, for years on end <laughs> to make a contribution? Like, what are, what are you doing this for? There has to be a reason. And it's often, you know pushing humanity forward, right? Like, sure. um, you know, pushing the boundaries of knowledge is a reason why someone would do it or the impact yeah. they can have on their students. And so you start to kind of realize like, the purpose when we get back to you know what you were teaching us earlier the function mm. of yeah. of of why we're in this is to have an impact on students and to get our information out there and so so much of academia is like we're doing this research and like no one gives a shit 
it, right? Or like, or we're just preaching to a choir in a room of other academics and it never leaves the wall of the institution. And there was a lot of sociologists I got really obsessed with when I was studying about like, you know, sociology in action, right? Like, what does it look like actually Mm. out in society, right? And like, you know, we can sit here and talk all day about like this kind of stuff, but like, what are we actually doing about it, right? Um, And so then, you know, in comes entrepreneurship, which really, like when I started to think about it, once I was, I was over the idea that like people who run businesses aren't bad people um, and that it's not always just about the money. And these, these stories I told of myself about teaching, um, well, specifically when I would teach like, you know, class and and all of that and like economic systems and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, I had to unlearn some of that, but once I got past that, I was like, oh my gosh, like entrepreneurs are, are really in such a position in society because they have the freedom. They can make money when they need to and how they can for the most part. And I say that with, obviously there's lots of disclaimers around that, but like you're in control of like what you want to put out and when, and what does that freedom look like when then now I can take what I know about the world and like my perspective from teaching and learning and research and like go do something with it. Right. And that's where I was like, Oh, it started to really click for me that it's not it for me. It doesn't matter what my revenue is. It's like, how am I leaving an imprint on this world? Because that's why I did anything I did in my life is that has always been the driving reason. So there's something about the profession of going into academia that, that there's something about those people who decide to do that. Um, and so what happens if we let those Mm. people do other things or like go outside a little bit and seep out, like, what does that look like? And I think now in this day and age, that's happening more and more. I say magic happens. Magic happens, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, I I think also at the same time, uh, I know that you're, you also taught sociology, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so like also at the same time, it's it's important for us to to remember the sociology of of what higher education was in the first mm. place. We came from sort of a German system in which like uh, that dude Bismarck um, was like, "There's so many people in the workforce. We need to mm, figure we, out. Yeah. <laughs> we need to create a retirement age, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah." You know that that's that construct. It's a that's, mm-hmm. you know, and and then we've bought into this idea of well, if we work till seventy plus, that's when we can enjoy the benefits of life. That's when yeah. we can. Um, that's yep. that's when we can really. Um, that's when we really can uh, cash in mm-hmm. on life. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I want to live now, dude. Now, yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> And so yeah. I think, you know, I, I think uh, I remember the first time I, I read uh, like Tim Ferriss, like um, mm-hmm. something like the four hour work week or you mm-hmm. know, some work week that was less than 40 hours. I think Which it was four is what? You know, and, and I was like, what a pipe dream to sell people right now. What a yeah. what, what a snake oil salesman this person mm-hmm. was. But it was because I was bought into um, these systems that had been in place before I was born. And Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of like, I guess, like you were saying, unlearning, decolonization and, and risk-taking when it came to pushing on a system. Mm -hmm. And if we look even further back at what education used to be, it used to be some, again, this, uh, I can assume it was probably some old white guy, right? But 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 also, right. (laughs) So that was the privilege, but yet there was, there, there was a person there 
that was provoking a group in round in circle mm -hmm. saying how can we how can we push society forward what can we do in terms of decisions um and so that was like the the old like uh not the old the i wouldn't say antiquated either that was mm -hmm. that was sort of like the the roman way of mm -hmm. of 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 learning was to mm. um, was to question. So if someone if someone were to uh, if a student were to ask a question, you answer with a question. Hello, yeah, that's coaching. Yep. yep. Oh, so we're coming like back to the coaching thing too because yeah. I that I think <laughs> I think that's interesting too. And I got into this a little bit, and her episode will probably come out about this. But my dissertation coach, right? And she was clearly yeah. she was a dissertation advisor for fourteen years, and then she transitioned into being a coach. So I'd love to hear you know maybe your comparison of that because there is something about like we know yeah. why yeah. we know why we don't want teachers coaching like I you know. I'm I, like at in, in certain parts of the academic journey, it's not necessarily that it can't be a skill that they develop, but there's something about it that is very different than yeah. what your role is as an instructor or someone on a campus. And so I don't know if you yeah. want to give like your definition for that um, because I do, but then the other side of me is like, but there should be resources <laughs> for people on campus because everyone needs it right Derek's gonna have absolutely. to bleep that out but yeah so. absolutely um so I I would say that um when it came to when it came to advising um uh folks came uh, folks would all actually now that I think about it my clients and my former students um who are also my teachers but my former students would come in with some sort of emergency or some sort mm -hmm. of life crisis or some mm -hmm. sort of dilemma mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they wanted to work through. And part of my role was to um, help them process that, right? Mm -hmm. But the other part of the role was to help them come to a solution. And if it was like office hours and I only had 30 minutes, sometimes the solution would be directive, mm. right? So it'd be, they'd come in, advising would be like, okay, tell me about this, this, okay, great. Okay, you need to do this right now mm -hmm. and email me back in a couple days. Um, and I remember advising being like that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And in terms of coaching, now I do have to tell you like, the first time I took my test, my my oral exam um, to become a coach, I failed mm. my my oral exam because I was trying to be too much of an advisor and a teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was um, uh, really the core sense of of coaching is absolute curiosity in another human being, mm. pure curiosity and suppressing the part of the ego that wants to tell somebody what to do, what to do. Yep. Yep. And I really feel like it was a fit because I lived to see other people have their aha moments, mm -hmm. <laughs> which a lot of other professors live for those yep. moments too. So, yep. And I the, love it. And the aha moment usually comes from a person um, unraveling something and mm -hmm. self-discovering mm -hmm. rather than being spoon-fed something. Yeah. Now, yep. it, it, yep. it can happen. It can happen where, you know, they're studying for something and they're like, 
oh my gosh, I see how Goffman relates to, yeah. you know, um, you know, Erickson and which relates to biology. And you see them make, making these connections, but also at the same time, like growth comes from a person being ready and, 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 yep. and, and listening to whatever it is, you know? I, and so I, as a, an advisor, I, as a, a teacher and I, as a, um, as a coach, I'm just a conduit and create mm-hmm. space for those aha moments to happen. And yeah, I do love the aha moments, but I also love saying that I am worth every damn penny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because getting those penny. moments quick and fast, um, you know, yep. in, in many spaces is so, is so worth it. So let's yeah. go into that a little bit because we yeah, haven't um, totally talked about it, but I'm, I'm getting, you know, I knowing a, a little bit about your background too and, and, um, and all of that, like, could you kind of shed light on how you took these things that you really cared about? Um, you know, you care about empowering people. You found positive psychology as the way to do that. You get your certificate. Um, you know, give us a little background of your business and maybe even like your business model, like how you are, how you are kind of monetizing those skills, um, and those things that you love to talk about. Yeah. So, um, uh, broadening and building, you know, Mm. and starting small and, uh, you know, I, I got this from corporate, the, um, the idea of Kaizen improve 1% every single day. Ah, yeah. Um, So it doesn't, it it didn't happen overnight. I didn't just get axed and uh, text everybody and suddenly I've got a a decent income, right? It didn't Mm -hmm. happen overnight. (laughs) You know, it it was, it was something in which you go through, you, you go through the constant gremlins of feeling like an imposter and then Mm -hmm. feeling like you're performing, um, but also at the same time, when I was ready, I made a declaration. And I think for folks um, who are who kind of live in a secret world like I did, I'm, mm. I'm super introverted, Lindsay. I know you couldn't tell because That's like bananas. the hair was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm super introverted. So I always wanted to proclaim something. And I just I just pretty much screamed it like I'm a coach and, and, and I'm going to get better every single day. Mm. I'm still getting better every day. And I'm going to continue to learn from all my environmental and social um, influencers around me in a positive way. And um, so what happened was um, constantly, constantly, constantly practicing um, my craft as if I was, um, I learned this from roller derby, as if I was practicing my crossover Mm. into it, it, on, on the on the court you know or or on the the roller derby rank um, yeah. constantly um working to get better making sure yep. that i had a coach and a support system so mm. when the gremlins came in yep. i realized that no it, it was it was it was really a part of my brain that was still trying to keep me um protected yep yep, yep. you know and and you know, I, I think in academics, it's a very protected space. You do your job, you've got it. You're a lifer. Yeah, right? yeah, it's true. In entrepreneur, uh, in starting your own business, I, I think there is some route to to uh, starting a business that is associated with uh, inherently taking a risk. Mm. And so, constantly feeling like, okay, what is an educated risk for me to take? Um, and so, my I, I, I took. Uh, the, the theories from positive psychology, um, I started getting on, on Facebook and saying, can I teach 
a micro class of positive psychology in two and a half minutes On or Facebook less. Facebook Live. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. And, and so it was called tiny little classes. And the thing was, was I'd start getting neurotic. I, I'd start getting nervous. And I was like, no, that's me on ca- on camera. Mm. Uh, but then I'm also looking at the way that um, really great online educators are doing it, uh, like Mind Valley, um, uh-huh. who are breaking things up into bite-sized pieces yep. every day. Yep. And to take a, a a tiny little class, you know, where it, you can't even get out of your door and put your shoes on in, in two and a half minutes, but to have that class and just to sit on that and, and think about it and then have another class each day, um, you know, there's definitely a benefit of a relational component of higher education where you get to be in the classroom, you get to be in the lab. Yeah. Yep. But there's also this benefit of, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, I can turn on a tiny little class. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. Lindsay, I also, instead of trying to go big and be like, I'm going to be the next Todd Herman, I'm going to be the next this, the next that, I started off with my locus of control. Mm. And so I started off by saying, okay, I have... um, I have this positive psychology idea. I have this uh, this coaching skill set. Mm-hmm. What what kind of what what kind of place can I get an easy gig right now? Yep. And what kind of place would be um, a receptive audience? Mm-hmm. So I looked around. Hey, I started a Filipino Student Association. Let's see what's going on with the Filipino students across the country. That's perfect. Started yeah. getting some little gigs there. At those mm-hmm. at those conferences, there are authors that are also presenting. Mm-hmm. There are other um, mm-hmm. there are there are other folks that I have the opportunity to educate and say, "Look, I know you just wrote this book about the psycho- the psychology of colonization, but I can also come back as a coach and talk to you about um, without breaking ICF code how colonization comes into play when I'm talking to my clients." Hmm. And I can, I can keep up. I don't have the yep. PhD. And so if you want to write me off, you yep. can, you have that choice. But if you want to sit down and have a convo, we can. And so partnering yep. with them, suddenly everything that I'm learning on a daily basis, I started journaling. So I didn't write my book. Um, I didn't write my book in, in overnight. Um, I wrote my book like 500 words at a time. Yeah, And it only took like a couple months and it, it wasn't as painless as I thought until I thought about how people would review it on Amazon. And that wasn't bad. That sure. And that, <laughs> That's a whole that, other thing. that wasn't <laughs> as bad as me thinking about presenting to my three advisors. Mm, that was still mm-hmm. more uh, scary than anything else. Mm-hmm. I thought about roller derby and the fact that folks in roller derby are constantly thinking about optimal performance and feeling good. Yep. Hey, is there yep. a conference on this? Heck yeah, there is. And it's in Vegas. Let me throw a yep. proposal together. Yep. Let me continue to join wellness collectives and talk about the benefit of positive psychology and coaching when therapy has taken a person as far as they can go. And it's time mm. to, to hand off seamlessly. Um, and, and as it builds... Um, kind of holding on to that nest egg and saying, I think I'm ready now to go and network with other entrepreneurs in New York, mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. met. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and slowly. So that was it. your first like entrepreneur conference actually. Yeah, that was my first. Oh my gosh. I love it. Why did I come love up it. as a, like a, a total pro? No. <laughs> yeah. Like a total <laughs> yeah. pro. Like I've been coaching. I'm like, I know what the hell I'm doing, and, which by the way, no one knows what no. they're doing no matter where you are. And these, no, things, no. So. Well, um, <laughs> well, it depends on the domain and the space, right? When, when it comes to, when it comes to me sitting down with a client that I know is a good fit, And so I don't take in every single person. I take in a person that I think will be a good fit. And when it comes down down to me and that client, there's nothing in the world that I'm better at. Mm. But then when it comes to me going to a conference and getting schooled and learning about, you know, getting learning about entrepreneurship there again, there is no reason for me to make major mistakes right now. You know, and so while I'm focusing on 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 serving my clients, there's a group of people like you, Lindsay, that are there that I know have my back that support mm-hmm. me. And that's a big deal, I think, as an entrepreneur. And I think any leader yep. or anyone who's ever been at it where they've been making tough decisions, it's lonely as hell. Mm. Yeah. And being an entrepreneur, I think solitude you have to be do. But loneliness is something mm-hmm. you don't you you don't need to feel and so there's people out there in terms of support and so it's slowly uh broadening now to the point where Mm -hmm. um i'm looking at okay what what cities could there possibly be a tedx that i i I could Mm -hmm. i could work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i don't feel like a weirdo um looking for that i I feel like i've got an idea like everybody else and i feel like i can contribute and how empowering is that yep yep yeah so good. Um, well, this has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> I do want people to know uh, about how they can like work with you or any kind of way they can find you know content that you're creating. So where are you kind of hanging out right now? And yeah. what would you suggest uh, people start when they want to get to know what you do and how you roll? Um, well, you can find me on Facebook, at Mark, M-A-R-C, Cordon, C-O-R-D-O-N. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this really cool Facebook Live every day called The Golden Mike. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. And if you Sounds check like out it. what the golden mic means, it's really fun to put people in the hot seat as, and they educate us. And so it really is creating a platform for folks to be educators across Ooh, the board, it. across the board. Um, the other thing, Lindsay, I would love to offer your audience um, is before this dang contract is signed and people have to um, officially <laughs> pay, pay for, for sh- pay for sh- <laughs> Um, you know, um, and I, I wanted to throw this out there for, for a big reason, uh, in my PhD program, um, one of, not in my program, but amongst PhDs, I remember folks saying, um, write your dissertation, get done and get to the other side and yep, understand yep. that your survival is yep. like all it's about. Yeah. But the, the real trigger moment for me, and this might have been because of my Michael Jackson mindset, but like <laughs> the real trigger moment for me was when I heard more than one person say, look, at the end of the day, five people are going to read your dissertation and it's going to collect <laughs> dust. And one of them will be your mom. And she's only going to make it through like the first half of the chapter and give you a mm-hmm. hug. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that was one of the points I said, nope. 
if yeah. I finish my ever finish my literature review, it's going out there. So I do mm-hmm. have an appreciation, a healthy appreciation for the entrepreneurship of writing a book. And I can't yeah. wait to touch it when it's in a Barnes and Noble. But yes. I want your listeners to get a hold of the book, tear it apart, um, have fun with it. Um, it's called Beyond Resilient. And if you email me, Mark, M-A-R-C at MarkCordone.com, M-A-R-C-C-O-R-D-O-N. So that's Mark at MarkCordone.com. Just tell me you heard me on Lindsay Joe. Mm-hmm. I'll shoot you, I'll shoot you the the book. Um, not only does it talk about resilience and entrepreneurship, um, I make weird Star Wars references and pro wrestling <laughs> references. Um, Love it. Punk rock quotes. Um Everyone can be a teacher, and that's what I'm trying to yep. say in the book. And everyone Love needs it. to be a learner. So please email me. And I and Lindsay, I've loved being a part of your show. Thank yeah. you. And I, Thanks yeah. for sharing your story and going all the places you went. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like we have some. I will uh, go. Yeah, and I feel like we could, you know, hang out again and and dig into some of these like concepts um, even deeper. <laughs> so we definitely have to have a powwow again because this was super fun. Absolutely, absolutely. 